G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. It was a very long and difficult labour and needed a caesarean section. And I remember that first hold, you know, holding him and just looking at him and just going, oh my goodness, if I had been in a country without access to a life-saving caesarean section, I could have lost my life. My son could have died as well. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we have part two of our conversation with Sarah David in Perth. She's sharing her life journey and how God tugs her heart towards a remarkable midwifery ministry. Last time she shared about growing up in South Africa and the events in her life that have helped shape her into who she is today. This time we'll pick up the story as she becomes a nurse and feels God is leading her to assisting women in childbirth. But first, Sarah and her husband have decided to go on an adventure. Today we'll hear the amazing ways God leads her and her husband on an overseas trip. Once again, Sarah David is chatting with Eric Scadabo. We sold our house. We um, wow. sold up everything Gave away of, uh, you know, I remember we gave away our furniture to um, refugees. And, you know, it was tough because I had a cat. There was a quite a significant moment because I had this cat and she was a real companion to me because Richard worked away a lot. Mm-hmm. And now I was going to have to find someone to look after her. And I remember there was a moment, I've got it actually in the back of my Bible because taught me about praying about everything and I remember just saying Lord we're going on this trip we've sold the house we've done everything but I still don't have someone to look after the cash just poured my heart out to God about this came out of my room the phone rang and this woman said to me hi Sarah my name is Alison and I believe you're looking for someone to look after your cat I could not believe how quickly that response came from when I prayed and she looked after the cat for us for a year while we went traveling so some people might say hey it's just a cat but obviously that touched your heart it touched my heart because it showed me that God was looking after my needs Mm -hmm. but I had to go to him about them he he loves us to go to him Mm -hmm. about everything yep and so this, it was so powerful because then traveling and going to all these different countries where we were totally out of our depth mm-hmm. and being confronted by a lot of poverty, a lot of the unknown, I really learned this practice of praying and asking God, you know, for my, my every need. Um, one of our first destinations was Vietnam. So this is in 1998, mm-hmm. November. Mm-hmm. So Vietnam had only just opened up mm-hmm. and we arrived in Ho Chi Minh City and got a taxi 
and we wanted to go to this backpacker's place and the taxi driver had other ideas. He wanted us to go to where he wanted us to go to and was starting to be quite aggressive and wouldn't take us to where we needed to go. And eventually my husband just said to him, look, just stop and let us out. So he just stopped Mm -hmm. and we got out. We had no idea where we were. This is before, you know, smartphones, GPS, all of that. You're just in the middle of nowhere as far as you're concerned. We're in the middle of nowhere. It's Mm. this busy road and there's just people everywhere. And I remember that I got out of the car and I just, I turned around and I was just, oh, Lord, please help us. Mm -hmm. Turned around and this little Vietnamese lady came up to me and she had one of those Vietnamese hats on Mm -hmm. and she gave me a note. And I opened the note, and honestly, this is this is what it said. It said, "This is your guardian angel. Wow. Follow her, and she will take you to your accommodation." Really? And then she gave us this other little book, and it had all these little testimonies of other tourists, other people, and they said, "Listen, just follow this lady; she'll take you to where you need to go." So my husband and I like looking at each other. We just thought, well, what have we got to lose? We followed this lady. She walked ahead of us. So we were following this bouncing little, you know, hat. Mm-hmm. And she took us to this backpackers. And we then turned around to thank her and she was gone. She disappeared. And really? it was the exact right place. She yeah. wasn't even looking for a tip or anything? No, nothing. She disappeared. Wow. <laughs> I thought it was some uh, kind of a business thing, but she actually was a guardian angel. And, you know, it was bizarre. Mm. It sounds like a crazy story, Mm. but it was – that was my experience. And, you know, she was who she said she was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this learning to just really trust God Mm. and trust his provision, his protection, and Mm -hmm. his guiding and leading – has been so formative in what I'm doing now, you know? Yes, we're, we're slowly getting there. Yes. <laughs> but uh, some other things happened in your life that shaped who you are today. Yes. So one of the other um, key things that happened on that trip was that, um, so I was a new midwife um, high up in the Himalayas in Nepal, mm-hmm. uh, in the Everest region. And we spent five weeks just walking in the Mm -hmm. mountains. And Mm -hmm. so, we had a lot of time meeting women. I just loved meeting the women, talking to them, uh, finding out about where they were giving birth, who was looking after them. And really became apparent that the obstacles and the lack of access that women had Mm -hmm. to sort of quality health care. And uh, there was one time and I met this um, health worker uh, we were sitting up high in the mountains. You know, you know where you're so high, and then you look up, and there's it's even there's more mountains. Mm, it was just yeah. incredible, snow capped Himalayas. And she was desperate to know more about how to care for women during labour. Mm-hmm. And so I was drawing pictures in the sand um, because there was this language barrier, and explaining to her some things about caring for a woman during labour. And I remember just afterwards, just sitting there and just thinking, oh, wow. It was it was like that, you know, when I'd helped that young girl, um, the mm-hmm. bike accident. All the way back to your childhood. 
that's right. Mm-hmm. I want to do this. I want to be teaching and helping health mm-hmm. workers in developing nations. God planted that seed in your heart there. Totally. And I thought we, you know, my husband would be on board and we could go and help right then and there. But um, it wasn't to be. Um, he wanted to get back to Australia and back to work. And then we, you know, started a family. Mm-hmm. And so that it was sort of put on hold. But now when I look back, I can see that it was percolating. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was that seed was being watered and prepared mm-hmm. for what mm-hmm. he had in plan. Yeah. Now let's find out about the challenges you faced with the birth of your first son. Yeah. So, um, eventually at the age of 30, my husband said, okay, let's um, start a family. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, he'd been very, very resistant. So, that was part of the challenge. But I always felt that I didn't want to be one of those women that um, was deceptive and fell pregnant by my plans. I wanted Mm -hmm. him to be fully on board Mm -hmm. and had really cried out to God and God spoke to Richard and he just came to me one day and he said, it's now time for us to start a family. Um, So, fell pregnant and it was not easy and then uh, was planning a home birth and it was a very long and difficult labour. And unfortunately, Ryan, my first son, he was a big baby with a big head and uh, we needed to transfer to the hospital and needed a cesarean section. Mm -hmm. And I remember that first hold, you know, holding him and just looking at him and just going, oh my goodness, if I had been in a country without access to a life-saving cesarean section... I could have lost my life. My son could have died as well. Yeah. And it had a a big impact on me, Uh, just that incredible gratitude for the care that I Mm -hmm. had received in Australia. Yeah. So, you know, like the lady that you talked to in Nepal, the ladies that she's helping, if they were in the same situation as you, they wouldn't have made it. Exactly. You know, because... um, I'd seen, I hadn't seen a health center in Nepal, but I'd heard her stories mm. and, and it actually walked the trails that they mm. would have had to walk. In fact, when what, I was in labor, wow. yes. And in fact, wow. while I was in labor with Ryan, I remember remembering those times of those tough hikes, you know, but for people in Nepal, they have to do it in real life. Yeah, but for yeah. us, we can figuratively, you know, when we're trying to ride the wave of a contraction, you know, when I teach antenatal classes, you know, we we get women to think of a really challenging time in their life and how did they cope and mm. to to go there in their minds mm. um, to ride the waves of the contractions and the pain because it's it's intense. It's really hard work. And then you get to the summit, you know, and mm. you remember that beautiful view. Mm. Uh, so, I did that a lot in both my labours with, with my boys. But, yeah, yeah um, we should say that your second child, there are difficulties yes. with your second son as well. Yes, yes. So, with uh, Matthew, um, again, a very difficult, long labour and 
you know, I wanted to have a normal birth with him and the doctor was supportive and I had a wonderful group of midwives supporting me. But we got stuck, well, even before I went into labour, at um, eight months pregnant, we were camping. My husband and I were camping with our little toddler, Ryan. Eight months pregnant, camping? Yeah, we went camping. Oh, you're camping. a trooper. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, we're up for adventure. Yeah, wow. And um, we were sleeping in the, in the tent. Uh, this was New Year's Eve. And at midnight, you know, the honks, the, the fireworks were going oh, yeah. off yep. and someone let off some flares and, oh, my goodness, there was all this noise. And the baby growing in my belly got a fright and the next minute mm. he did a whole lot of kicking mm. and I thought, oh, my goodness, he didn't like that. And the next day I realised that he had turned from being the head down position, mm-hmm. he was now breech. Oh, and which was a huge complication for me because mm. I'd had a previous cesarean section and uh, he really needed to be in a head down position for me to even begin to try and have a normal vaginal birth. Mm-hmm. So, it just created this turmoil in me about what was I going to do? Mm-hmm. Do I just go in and have a cesarean section or is God going to help me to have a normal birth? Mm. But, um, you know, God knew the desire of my heart and I found a doctor who was able to turn him and he turned him to the head down again. And about a week later, I then went into labour. So, I was already laboured well, but then got stuck at eight centimetres, which Mm. was what sort of happened with Ryan. And, I remember the doctor came in and just said to me, look, if if you're not fully dilated in another hour, I'll give you another hour. Mm. And if you're not dilated in an hour, we're going to have to take you for a cesarean section. And uh, my midwife was a Christian lady and she said, right, I'm sending out a prayer request and we're going to pray. Mm. I just laid back on the bed and I was crying and I was, I'd given up. I just thought, yep, whatever. Mm. And the doctor came back 45 minutes later and checked me and said, oh, the head's right here. Wow. And the baby was born, mm-hmm. huge baby. Our doctor couldn't believe his eyes. He said, this is a toddler, so even bigger <laughs> than Ryan. And uh, it, was, it was actually a miracle that Matthew was born vaginally. And I remember mm-hmm. that night going to bed and just – thanking God I was exhausted and just saying you know what am I going to name this child and uh, God said Matthew gift of God oh and um, you know was God just saying to me that um, you know I've honored the desire of your heart Mm -hmm. and um, this is Matthew You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is once again chatting with Sarah David, who's the founder of a midwifery ministry called Living Child. As we just heard, Sarah can identify with people dealing with difficult pregnancies because she has had struggles of her own. We'll hear more of her story and about her life-changing trip to Papua New Guinea when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. 
Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Our guest today is once again Sarah David, who's the founder of a midwifery ministry called Living Child. Before the break, she shared about the difficulties she's experienced with her own pregnancies. Now, here's more of her conversation with Eric Scadabo. After that, you had postnatal depression? I was. I was very, very depressed. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably because the depression had not been picked up, you know, when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, in retrospect, I look back and I'd sort of struggled with anxiety and depression for many, Mm -hmm. many years. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, apart from the whole pregnancy, just in general. Yeah. Um, Just, I mean, you know, moving countries a couple of times. Yeah. Having to deal with a long-distance relationship, um, a lot of things had happened mm. in my life mm-hmm. and I had never really been encouraged to go and have some counselling or talk to anyone about it and had grown up very fearful and so that anxiety was now starting to really take over my life and it began um, in the pregnancy with Matthew. It really started to raise its head. Mm. So just with incredible um, panic fear, not being able to cope, just feeling I wasn't coping every Mm. day with just normal daily activities. And when Matthew was about five months old and here I had these two healthy children smiling and laughing and and having fun and I remember I just couldn't join in their fun Mm. and I thought there's something wrong, there's something wrong deep within me. And I went and, and got help from uh, the child health nurse and then the my GP, who were fantastic, mm. and then started a journey of um, of seeing a psychologist and having some counselling. So I'm just kind of hearing your experiences and knowing that you go on to help women give birth. You've pretty much experienced the highs and lows <laughs> associated with it. So you know from firsthand experience how to help people. Yes, and I think that that is it's it's a hard lesson to learn, isn't it? I mean, mm. I'm now 53, and I I can look back and I can go, well, yeah, I can see why that's happened, and I can I can speak with authority mm-hmm. yep. with people. I can journey mm-hmm. with people because I know what it feels like, but at the time, it didn't feel nice. Oh yeah, and yeah. you feel very alone and you feel that, you know, why is God allowing this to happen? But um, it absolutely has equipped me to be able to, you know, be with people and speak into their lives and, mm-hmm. and to have true empathy with people who are facing, you know, huge difficulties. And then eventually you're invited to go to Papua New Guinea? Yes. It's um, in 2010, my... Um, my parents' marriage broke up. My mm. dad just walked out after 40 years of marriage. Oh, and wow. um, I was exhausted and overwhelmed. And our whole family was absolutely shattered. Mm. So I resigned from work at the hospital and I decided to take a sabbatical. I needed to just look after myself and mm-hmm. my children and focus there. Mm. And 
After about 18 months, my husband said to me, you know, what are you going to do with your career, Sarah? And I said to him, well, I know that I don't want to go back and work in the hospital system. And he said, you know what you need to do? You need to go and do your midwifery in a developing country. And I said, yes, that's always been my heart Mm -hmm. and my passion. So I started looking around, but everywhere that I looked, it was... um, you know, you had to be away for a month. And I thought, I can't leave the kids when they're so little for so long. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, the registration papers came through to re-register as a midwife. And I just put them on my desk and I, I, I just said, Lord, you know, you know my heart. What are your plans for me? Mm-hmm. Maybe my journey as a midwife is finished now. And literally two days later, I went to pick my boys up from school and a friend of mine whose husband is a Church of Christ pastor, she just sidled up to me and she said, "Um, Sarah, would you like to go and teach village birth attendants in Papua New Guinea? And I looked at her and I said, for how long? And she said, oh, no more than two weeks. And I said, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I said, yes, straight away. (laughs) I went home, signed my re-registration papers, spoke to my husband, and that was the beginning of uh, going to Papua New Guinea. So I went on the first trip in August 2012. So from November to the August, it was nine months. So there was this pregnancy that had been gestating. And we went to a very remote area. But to get there was very long and hard. And I remember that by the time I got to this one little town called Wewak, I was hot. I was tired. All that sort of excitement and anticipation was now all of a sudden I started to feel this overwhelming fear. Because when we arrived in Wewak, there was no power. The lights were out. There was no running water, so there was no air conditioning, no fans. I was tired, and I started to just cry. Mm. I just, the tears and the emotion just started coming through, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't stop it. I couldn't stop the tears, and I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, Mike, who was this Church of Christ pastor from Australia, who I didn't know very well, He's going to think, what on earth have I done bringing this crazy woman hmm. who <laughs> is losing it Who's on now the a first basket night? Case and she's supposed yes. to be helping. <laughs> she's a total basket case. <laughs> and I remember wiping the snot from my nose. <laughs> and I remember just thinking, oh my goodness, Sarah, how on earth did you think that you would be able to do this? And um, at the dinner table by candlelight, there was this Papua New Guinean pastor. And he also, I was so embarrassed because there I am with, you know, snot dripping. (laughs) And he said, let's pray. And he just prayed. He prayed for our families back in Perth. He prayed for the journey the next day. He prayed that the river level would be high enough so that the boat could travel along the river. He was so specific. Mm -hmm. And then he prayed that... Whatever we did on this trip, it would be like a stone, you know, landing on the water and the ripple effect would be for God's kingdom. Mm. 
And I remember as he prayed, I just, this, you know, the presence of the Holy Spirit and just that peace, just peace came over me. And um, we left early the next morning, four o'clock in the morning, and it was dark. And I remember we were going on this dirt road that was, it was a terrible road in a four-wheel drive. And we were in the back of this uh, four-wheel drive. And as the sun was rising, you could see the mist and we were seeing the jungle. And at one point we got a flat tire. And so we all had to get out of the car but it was cool and the mist and I've got a photo and and you just see this road. And now when I look at that photo, I can just see all this mist. I had no idea what was on the other side of that mist. Mm. I had no idea of the river. I had no idea about the people, but I just had the sense that God went before us, you know. So that, that mist and the unknown was kind of a metaphor for your whole situation at that point. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you went into the mist, so to speak, yeah. and into the we unknown. Did. Yes. Yeah. We went, we we got on a boat uh, at the Sepik River and we traveled. And this is in a power boat and we traveled for seven hours. Seven and it hours. Was, it was unbelievable. It was so hot and it was going, we were, we were going deeper and deeper into the jungle. At that point, were you asking yourself, what have I got myself into? (laughs) Uh, We were just like, where are we going? When are we going to get Are we still in civilization? (laughs) We were not in civilization. It was, um, you could just see, you know, you could see huts on the side of the river and people. And the further we went, the less clothes people had on, you know, the children oh. would be running around without anything. Because so you're they getting didn't pretty remote anything. there. We were getting very, very remote. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to stop it right there as we've just run out of time. But we invite you to join us again next time to hear the rest of Sarah David's life-changing trip to Papua New Guinea in 2012. Meanwhile, to find out more about the ministry she's founded, the website is livingchildinc.org.au. Once again, that's livingchildinc.org.au. Finally, I think Sarah's decision to follow the Lord's leading to this remote village is a good example of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Sarah didn't know what to expect as she was getting deeper and deeper into the jungle, but she trusted God who knew exactly what he was doing. We'll hear the remarkable way God works it all out for his glory next time. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. Because I was able to share that I had had a difficult two births, and had needed a cesarean and I could have died. And it sort of opened the door for them to then share. And then we asked them to share their stories. And oh my goodness, there were just one story after another. And it was of women dying, of babies dying. 
Sarah David is the founder of a midwifery charity called Living Child, which aims to reduce the infant death rate in remote villages of Papua New Guinea. She has faced many challenges in striving to help in this area, but discovered there was also a spiritual battle going on. We'll hear more of Sarah's story next time. The Story. Just another way Vision is helping you look to God daily. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.